So I just realized something. We are kind of an unlikely team up ourselves. The rom-com fan, the horror fan. Usually our tastes are, are pretty divergent and I think we've both introduced each other to movies we would have never chosen to watch on our own. Like, I don't think I would have consciously sought out Ghosts of Mars. Uh, I think I would probably um, watch some of the other John Carpenter movies I hadn't seen first. And and I I would be surprised if that old feeling would be a movie that you would consciously seek out. Like, like I want to see... That Midler's entire oeuvre. Well, yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen a Bette Midler movie. <laughs> this is your first Bette Midler acting role? I think, like, if I've seen her in a movie, it's the difference between, a mo- like, a Jim Carrey movie and a movie with Jim Carrey. Mm. Um, and so I think this is probably the first time that I've really seen Bette Midler in an actual movie role like this, but yeah, 1997 that I was not Not even Hocus Pocus. Never seen Hocus Pocus. Never seen beaches. Never. I mean, I know Bette Midler from Seinfeld. She did the softball in Seinfeld and I think she was in curb, right? Makes sense that she was in curb. Um, she probably has an episode. Yeah. Hmm. I imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't really know Bet. I don't really know. I mean, I know Dennis Farina because Michael Mann crime movies. If <laughs> if you like Michael Mann crime movies, you're going to run into Dennis Farina at some point. But um yeah, I I would never like I would not have sought this out as a teenager. And then as a film lover, like yeah, the fact that Carl Reiner directed it does make it make the pill easier to swallow in terms of the rom-comminess aspect. I didn't have to coat it with cheese first. Right. I don't like cheese. You're right. Like this isn't a movie that I would have actively sought out and knowing Dennis Farina and Bette Midler were in it is like, okay, yeah, that's cool, but I'm not going to watch it. Like I'm sure it's good, but I'm not going to watch it. But then watching it for the podcast, I was, it again, it definitely was a movie that I was like, okay, I am I am automatically going to give this movie the benefit of the doubt. I'm already meeting the movie halfway there. So by the time the movie does get into hijinks territory, which I think it does pretty early, I was like, yeah, this movie is fun. Um, yes, it is. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Necromancer. I'm Shira. I'm a rom-com fan. I'm Brett, and I am a horror movie fan. Each week here at Necromancer, Brett picks a horror movie, I pick a rom-com, we review those movies, and then we flip-flop them around. We turn the rom-com into a horror, and the horror into a rom-com. And I think it's probably the funnest, unlikely team-up I could have. Yeah, and if you've been listening to this podcast for the past year, we've been doing it for just over a year, then by now, 
you know our deal. And by now, hopefully every time you see our little notification pop up, new episode, you get that old feeling. Oh, nice segue. So yeah, we're continuing our theme of unlikely team-ups with the last Carl Reiner movie before he passed away in 2020. This was that old feeling. This was his final work. Yeah, that's sad. But that's all. I mean, he he made a good movie. He, you know, he knows yeah, how to make a movie. He retired on a high note, I think. Yeah, and then as you notice, as as you pointed out, this is a movie where the unlikely team up is uh, a daughter of a of a famous couple, essentially. Like he's famous too; he writes books or whatever. But the daughter of a famous couple has to team up with the paparazzi guy, the paparazzo, to find them. And I also would argue that Dennis Farina and Bette Midler, as pop culture personalities, are a bit of an unlikely team up. Right. It is kind of an unlikely team up. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen them in another movie together. Um, I yeah, I'm trying to think of who that Midler tends to get paired with in other movies. I wish I remembered the name of it now, but there's a really funny movie with Judd Nelson, Danny DeVito and Bette Midler, where Judd Nelson and his wife kidnap. Bed Midler to ransom her uh, for money and Danny DeVito's her husband, but he hates her. So he hopes that they will just keep her and shenanigans ensue. But it's like Bette Midler and Danny DeVito as, as, you know, raging spouses. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. Uh, Bette Midler and Dennis Farina, you know, I, I, they, of course they made it very believable, but yeah, I don't think I've ever seen them work together and they work so well together. Yeah. They're amazing scene partners. Yeah. By this point in their career, I, I could see maybe those connections becoming closer, like easier to make that connection. But if you mm-hmm. look at the history of each of those two actors, Dennis Farina, where he comes from and Bette Midler, where she comes from, like it's an unlikely, even though they're both, very bombastic, loud, type A, take over the room personalities. They, I, I don't see them together. But then in this movie, when they argue and that tension, that belligerent sexual tension comes up. It's oh, you know, I perfect. love that phrase. <laughs> yes, it is so perfect. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah. And again, shout out to my mom, Carol who is the person who introduced me to this movie. And without you, Mom, I never would have considered this uh, for this episode and this theme. So I'm I'm glad that I, you know, I I got exposed to this movie early on, and now I get to share it with other people like you who, you know, didn't even know it was out there. Yeah. And again, I said as much as I love Ghosts of Mars, absolutely. The movie does... I can understand and feel a little clunky to people. This movie has the same thing. Like I loved a bunch of aspects about this movie, but there is something about the movie. I can't, I probably can't explain what I liked about the movie as well as you can, because this isn't my genre, but the same way that you just felt that like the fades and the framing device and mm-hmm. stuff, it, it felt clunky in ghosts of Mars. I feel the same way about this. Um, unfortunately, I think some of it has to do with the, uh, photographer guy. It feels a little bit like 
like a Tony Danza impression almost. Like I think Tony Danza has. Oh, such... you mean you mean uh, Danny the... Nucci, the paparazzo? Yeah, I feel like Tony Danza has such innate charm, but this guy feels like he doesn't have that X factor. But he wasn't much. meant to really be charming. Yes, he was. He well, ends up like with her in, at the end. But in spite, it's like in okay. To be fair, I. On this pass on the movie, I found Danny Nucci more endearing. But when I watched this movie as a kid, I will tell you, I did not get it. I did not get why him and uh, Paula Marshall were supposed to be together. I mean, and then they cleaned it up and I was like, okay, I guess I sort of get it. But um, when I was younger, them pairing off didn't actually make sense to me. Um, and now it does. I think it, it, I, I see the, 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 the strings and the workings and it, it feels right. It feels cute. And fun fact, Danny Nucci, Paula Marshall married in real life, married a couple years after this movie. I'd like to imagine they met on that old feeling and Carl Reiner paired them up or or the other actors pushed them together and and then it just was magic yeah um i agree you think with that real life chemistry there'd be more on-screen chemistry but it doesn't yeah i think they're the weakest part of this movie yeah um but yeah i think this movie is super fun uh if if there's anything else you want to mention before we get into it let's do it all right let's do it so uh, a very rom-commy thing is we start out with the proposal, right? This is very L. Woods, Legally Blonde. Only things yes. go it's, slightly. It's going to happen tonight. It's going to go slightly better for um, Paula Marshall. I got to bring up my IMDb here so I can get the characters' names right. Uh, so it goes pretty well for Molly, despite her choking on the ring. Um, okay, but here's how you know that this guy is going to be the Bellamy. And I, I think if we're handing out uh, the Bellamy Awards, then Anshuman has a rival. Uh, because this guy is a great Bellamy, I think, as far as how totally awful he is for her because when she starts choking on the engagement ring he doesn't even know cpr he just calls over yeah Yeah, he doesn't i mean like yeah you don't even have to be cpr certified to remember how to do the heimlich like we've all been through a course at one time in our lives but he actually calls over the waiter right. to he's, do the heimlich he he's he can delegate even rich. the most he's, important yeah. things he's pampered he has people. other people do his stuff for him yeah, yeah it's so a, he it's never a had to take a cpr course yeah um but it's also nice that she doesn't just choke on the ring that like she eats the ring and she's like what is this and then the champagne bottle is what causes the the choking so mm-hmm. again it's, it's a those... very nice escalation and then it lands on his face with right. the chocolate pudding it's perfect and then it's cute they they kind of laugh it off uh they go into their car for the ride home or to the the carriage ride the horse ride to the park or whatever and um this is a little bit goofy but again we're in we're we're in that territory of like we we do need to get exposition out of the way but 
the mm-hmm. fact that he doesn't know that her parents are like oil and water or whatever is the two chemicals that mix to create the biggest explosion, right? She calls them like a nuclear explosion. Right. The fact that he doesn't know this about her and they're getting married is a little bit silly, but I get it. We, the audience, she's, don't know. She's been trying to pass herself off as normal. She's about to that, that marry sense. this, you know, milk toast yeah. senator wannabe. Um, also, another sign that this guy sucks is you have a woman who is completely willing to elope with you, no big wedding no cashola take the elopement some people want that wedding some people want that wedding i worked with someone who was a little more no well it was a lady but her daughters she had a couple daughters um she was a little bit more well off financially and so she gave all of her daughters an option when they got married of you can either take this money package to spend on your honeymoon or will pay for a wedding for you. And the levels of money, it's like, we'll give you however, I'm, I'm just going to use $5 and $10 because I don't, I don't know how much. But she's like, we'll give you $5 to pay for your wedding or we'll give you $10 to go on your honeymoon, right? So like, take the honeymoon money. <laughs> right, they right? try to make that honeymoon offer very attractive. Yes, but instead, I think, I don't know if it was both or what, but one of her daughters definitely took the wedding money because she wanted the big wedding. And it was like, you idiot. I even told her, I was like, oh my God, why would she do that? I was like, I could make a short film with the amount of money you're offering her. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God, like to spend it all on one night, one day. Like, I get it. I get that people like that, but I don't, I don't get it. It's not for me. Sonia and I did not have any kind of wedding. We went to town hall, got our paper signed. And that was that. Uh, That was that old feeling. Um, So yeah, now it's time to meet the parents. And we start off with good old Bette Midler. She plays an actress, um, Lily. And we start off with them on the streets of New York. It's New York, right? I don't know. Right. Yeah, they're in New York. Yeah, they're in New York. And then we get this sixth sense feeling of a paparazzi guy around. And then it turns out that there's a paparazzi guy named, oh boy, it's Joey. Of course. Joey. Joey. Yeah. So Danny Nucci, Joey, Donna, same (laughs) generic Italian names. I, is this also the scene where Molly tells her she's being neurotic and Bette Midler says, I'm not neurotic. I'm just a bitch. Probably. <laughs> I loved yeah. that line. I loved that line. Uh, and when he's like, how melodramatic can your parents be? She's like, she's an actress. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the paparazzi chases them. They duck into good old reliable Bergdorf Goodman. And oh, they go into Bergdorf in this movie too. Yep. That's three what is times. It with rom-coms and Bergdorf and Goodman. We've hit the Bergdorf Goodman hat trick on the Necromancer podcast. But, but the brand loyalty to Bergdorf Goodman across romantic movies is really shocking. They like, must what get is, like a tax incentive. What happens a, in You know there? what I mean? Maybe they don't charge them for the fees or something. Maybe they've got like a Hollywood deal. 
But they're setting very unrealistic expectations because I feel like I should go to New York and walk into a Bergdorf Goodman's and clearly my Arthur is going to be there. Right. Um, yeah. All you have to do yeah. is steal Arthur, <laughs> Cary Grant, uh, these people, they're all at Bergdorf's. Um, I do love, absolutely love the joke of Bette Midler putting on her makeup in the car and of her, mm-hmm. her husband or, you know, her, yeah, it's her husband, right? Her husband, and her new husband and therapist saying, why couldn't you do this earlier? And the whole joke about the natural light, you know, I need to look, I need to know what I actually look like. Not what I, what, not what I'm kidding myself thinking I look like. That was like, I love that. Yeah, like that's a good point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, put your put your makeup on earlier. No, you don't understand. It looks different under different lighting. Okay, good point. It's so <laughs> perfect because she's so petty, and it for her, it it doesn't even matter that she's going to be in front of her ex husband. She doesn't even want to admit that she cares anything about him. This is all about looking better than Rowena, the the now wife, the woman that he cheated on her with yes it's great bet midler is a star for a reason she's got that star power uh and then our interest our introduction to dennis farina is hilarious because the introduction is him getting ready in his room and his wife saying hey we gotta hurry up and he's like i'm in the wedding they can't start without me it's such an alpha male move but at the same time it's like it's not malicious it's not a dick move it's just him being him it's him being so and he is worried about um lily being there and there's obviously going to be um tensions um he has a hair he has a hair transplant that he's self-conscious <laughs> about uh i love it um so Lil, um, I always get the names. Molly gets married to, his name is Keith, right? Molly gets married to Keith. Keith is a politician. Yeah. They're at the wedding. Wedding stuff happens. When Molly and, and Rowena go to talk to each other, or when Lily and, and Rowena go to talk to each other, I love the line of any attempt to talk to me I find in the worst possible taste. Um, it's just so funny, but it's... <laughs> I like it. Both of them have great interactions, yeah. like her with Rowena and Rowena being like, oh, I was just overcome with emotion <laughs> or passion, whatever she says. <laughs> and then I think that the therapist goes up to Dennis Farina and is like, oh, isn't this great? We're going to be able to make amends. And Dennis Farina just says, shut up or I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. And you believe it too. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, uh, we get this stuff. We find out he writes books. So she's a famous actress. He's a famous book guy, a writer, an author, I guess, um, a book guy. I like book guy better. <laughs> uh, from famous book guy, Stephen King. Uh, so I like their interaction for the first time. Um, Molly or Lily and Dennis Farina, Lily and Dan. It goes from being very cautiously civil to petty barbs to a shouting match to complete party wedding disruption mayhem oh and the escalation is so perfect (laughs) and and just the things that they shout at each other like i wrote down uh when she says uh you were faithful like a kennedy is faithful (laughs) 
uh, or uh, I turned down a beetle for you. Yeah. And he, he's like, Ringo. Ringo. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So they're, they're like, they're really good at fighting. And the problem that this causes is Lily kicks them out. Right. And so the problem mm-hmm. with them being super good at fighting is they're also super good at fucking. <laughs> oh my god, that escalation in the parking lot when they're fighting and then he pins her arms and and Bette Midler is like a little pug just trying to wiggle out of his grasp and then it gets kind of sexy. And oh my god. I, I know that we talk about our crushes in the horror movies, but... God, Dennis Farina is really hot. He's a good-looking guy, and he's just got this this aura about him that makes him more likable. But yeah, and again, talking about a Brett movie being a movie that is for people who like that specific movie, not just the genre, but that specific movie. Um, the, yeah, the fact that they one hook up so early, and the rest of the movie kind of becomes a chase scene is yes. Give me the premise, then let me have fun with it. Don't make me trudge through the premise for some kind of false payoff. So I like that. Right. We, we are immediately in hijinks territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a good pace. Right. To it. And yes, it's it's obvious that these two are going to hook up. Like that's even if you know nothing about it going into it, which I didn't. I don't think I realized that Oh, you didn't they, realize they were going to hook up? I don't think I realized that they were going to hook up in the sense of how committed they were to the hookup. In the sense that it cre- I thought it was going to be more of a sneaking around kind of thing, but they kind of really do cement it as a chase movie. Which makes it, it's, it's again, just so much more those, fun as a chase movie. Yeah, the fact that this is a chase movie instead of a sneaking around movie is, or a hiding in plain sight movie, whatever is the difference there, it is a big difference. Um, right. This is a movie that, like, I, I think one of the things that romance movies do that generally frustrates audiences, whether you're a fan of romance or not is creating conflicts that could be solved with a conversation or with people simply being direct and confrontational, where all of the hijinks that happen in this movie, at each point where you would think that they're going to be indirect, non-confrontational, you confront it and you go to the next thing. So it seems like it's going to be very sneaky when they come back into the wedding and then they have to dance with each other and their spouses are so proud of them for overcoming this conflict to make nice at Molly's wedding while they're just like, I can't believe what we just did. It's, it's such a great comedy moment. It is because it's it's the opposite of that Hitchcock moment of building the tension by showing the ticking bomb underneath the table. This isn't tension in the Hitchcock thriller aspect, but this is comedic tension in the fact that we know there's a ticking bomb between these two, uh, but none of the other characters know it. And so there's like a ticking sexual tension bomb. Mm-hmm. None of the other characters know it. So we do get that comedic uh that comedic scene that's satisfying where yes these two characters have to play it off like they do hate each other now but really they're starting to kick up that old feeling so it's awkward yet romantic there's a lot of great chemistry there 
Um, the problem is, though, don't they start to fight again? No, not or... yet. So, so here's what happens: they 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 act all weird with each other, right. and then it's the wedding night. And Molly and Keith are trying to have sex. While meanwhile, um, Lily and Dan, like he calls her because he can't stop thinking about it. Right. Uh, And then you learn that they literally inside the same hotel, like the audacity of these people in the hotel where they (laughs) where their daughter just got married. In the room next door. In the room next door, in the same hotel where their spouses are, they decide to rent a room and have sex again. And I love it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, we get the scene of like the laughter. I like that idea of the laughter being the clue where how the daughter knows that they're together. It's like my mom's laughing and my dad's laughing. They shouldn't be laughing together. They should be shouting at each other. So that's good. Again, we're showing the chemistry. She has her now husband look into the room next door. He sees that it's an affair between her parents. So now there's scandal and there's paparazzi. We see a glimpse of Joey down there. Did he take a picture? Did he not? Oh, no. So now we have to go confront the paparazzi. And this is where the team up happens. This is 37 minutes into the movie. This is just about the halfway point. So from here on out, the entire movie is really just hijinks, it's shenanigans, and the resolution of the movie doesn't really happen until the very end. So it's, it's nice. And they, there's no they, fake There's no fake outs either. Yeah, they get in, they get out. I love this movie. <laughs> but uh, I love their whole reasoning for going on this trip where they're going to disappear is because, I mean, they've been found out. Rowena walks in on them and Bette Midler gets this amazing petty moment where she gets to just throw Rowena's words right back at her. Uh, And then she and Dennis, Bette Midler and Dennis Farina are talking and they're like, oh, yeah, this is what's going to happen when I go back to my husband. This is what's going to happen when I go back to my wife. Yeah, that really sucks. What are we going to do? We can delay it. Yeah. We can't stop it, but we can delay it. And then it's on. And they're like, yeah, let's just, let's just go. Let's go have an affair. I love it. I absolutely love it. So then again, we're, we're back in, in Manhattan. The two are, are now like the total opposite of shouting at each other. The two are like two little high school fledgling lovers they're two giggly little lovers hanging on each other's arms and laughing and giggling and having a grand old time but then boom something happens we get some spider sense it's the paparazzi oh wait 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 before before we get into this we got to explain how paparazzi joey and molly get together because keith is concerned that the um that dan and lily's affair is going to create a scandal that is going to hurt his political career. And so he tells Molly, let's put our honeymoon on hold. You go find your right. parents. And then Molly decides, who knows where my mother is at all times? It's this piece of shit cockroach. They call him the cockroach. Right. Uh, and he does kind of look cockroachy. Uh, he has like a very just disgusting tuxedo that he wears at the actual wedding that's just comically gross. But yeah, 
uh, Molly decides to team up with Joey, and it turns out Joey has a very illegal uh, connection with uh, somebody working at Lily's bank, and he knows uh, where she uses her credit cards. So they decide to go first to, you know, where that is. But then when we get to the scene with Dennis Farina and Bette Midler, you find out that she knew already that he would try this. And so she canceled all her credit cards. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's, it's a really fun moment. It's a fun scene. Um, so, yeah, we get the spider sense. There's a little bit of a chase. And then as those guys start to confront each other and 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 try to break up the the chemistry between uh molly lily and dan we also now kind of cut back to the 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 bellamy's of the group the the bellamy band yeah the bellamy band is great but wait before the um before the the four the two couples get together i really loved the lead up to that which is you get the investigation where uh, they can't find her, so they go to the gossip magazine to look on the computer, and then you you see this gag of Bette Midler with all these different guys like Mick Jagger uh, and stuff like that. Uh, and what I like is when they finally get to the hotel where they see uh, Lily and Dan, uh, Molly tries to say, nope, you're done here go away. I don't need you anymore. And, you know, I know we we think that Danny Nucci wasn't exactly the strongest part of this movie, but I think that it's really cute when he says, I want to meet her. That he's is not, extremely cute. <laughs> he's not just a paparazzi. He's a fan. Yeah. And he's always on the clock. So when he's a paparazzi, he can't meet her as a fan because it's his job. But now that he's involved in her life as a tangentially connected to her daughter and helping the daughter find them. It's like, I'm not really on the clock. I'm not allowed to take pictures. I want to meet her. That is that you're right. That's a good way. Oh, it's so, there's so many good lines in the scene. Like when, when he says, I want to be introduced and she says like a person. Yeah. Uh, And then when they do introduce each other and you know, it turns out that, Bette Midler doesn't hate him at all. She just and hates, there's this, yeah. She just hates the pictures. She just hates like, bad photos. Not good photos. She loves that when he takes good photos, but she hates the bad ones. Nothing from the left. Uh, <laughs> and then I also like this throwaway line. Uh, why do you think I never had him arrested? He's cute. Right. Yeah. He's a little cutie. Um, but yes, then we cut back to the Bellamy band. Right. And the, the idea here is just that we get we, we get the sense that all of the marriages are falling apart. None of them are really right for each other. We get the relationship therapist breaking down because he can't get divorced. That'll be bad for his image. Uh, Rowena <laughs> doesn't off his meds. <laughs> yeah. Rowena doesn't want to break up because I don't know, um, social status. Rich clients. Yeah, and then the guy doesn't want to break up because that's his career, the the Bellamy guy, uh, Keith. Keith. Yeah, so, you know, uh, we also, as the movie progresses, we get a little bit of Keith and Rowena hooking up because they both, of course, they both are going to do that. They both are cheaters. They both are and bad. And they're terrible people. Yeah. 
and I like that even though they cheat with each other, they mutually agree that it was terrible and that the sex was bad. And he's like, ugh, can you believe it? He's, and she's like, I wish I didn't even remember. And I like his his uh, complaint. I have to be on the bottom. I have a bad back. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. Um, so now again, we get we get more we get more tensions between Dennis Freen and Bette Midler because as as good as they are together, they do still have this tension of like you cheated on me first. No, you cheated on me first. So even though they're good together, they do kind of start shouting and stuff. Uh, or is, is this that later? after? Uh, so this might be later, but so Molly is very intent oh, on them you're right, you're right. going, going back to their spouses. And there's another great line where she says to Joey, she says, whose side are you on? And he says, theirs. Yeah, you're right. And so are we. Yeah, we're Joey. Yeah, we're um, definitely on it. But they they trick Joey and Molly into a hotel room and then jam a fork in the lock so they can't escape. And that's how we get ourselves a little dash of forced proximity, baby. Yeah, I like that when she talks to them like they're the kids and she's the parent. And then they're mm-hmm. like, you're right. Let's go pack up and go home. And for a second, I did believe it. But then what's great, again, what's great about reveals and, and stuff like that is when Dennis Farina delivers that line of, yes, you are right. Let's go pack up. We'll go back. He delivers it very convincingly. However, when we then cut to the hotel room, right away, you can tell Bette Midler and Dennis Farina are like these cartoon characters who are like, tee hee hee, we're going to plan and trick them. So they trick them. Unfortunately, this is probably the cringiest part of the movie (laughs) for me. Oh, yeah. The throwing fruit onto the street to get people's attention. And it's actually just gross. And and it's it's weird. And uh, it's like she doesn't really live because she's kind of sheltered or reserved. So she gets to let loose and just throw stuff. And the song that played on it was super dated and. I don't well, know. Well, was it, it dated for 1997 or uh, was that right when that song was really getting the most airplay and I, Carl Reiner just picked a song from the radio? But if like, you're going to pick if you're if you're going to pick a song like that, like there's no other moments in this movie that have a newer song like that that's kind of front and center. There's no like if this was in Legally Blonde, I would be like, oh, yeah, this song fits here because they have those kinds of songs all throughout the movie. Yeah, and I don't think this is either this is before or after Bette Midler sings. And it's like you can't have something with that level of class and then put on a one hit wonder like there she goes. Yeah, Um, no, Bette Midler singing is the very next scene. Um, So they go to the piano guy. Yeah, they go to the piano guy who sings them a song. It's kind of like what was the rom-com? Where the lady um, sings the song while the piano it, guy plays. It's um pillow talk. Pillow, yeah, pillow uh, talk. Why am I blanking? But um yeah, yes, Doris pillow Day talk. Doris Day is a singer. 
Yes. Um, I'm not really a particularly huge Bette Midler fan or anything, but like, yeah, take the three, bitch can sing. Take three minutes out of the movie to make Bette, or to let Bette Midler sing. I get it. That's what I signed on for when I hit play on this movie. So yeah, but that's also what he loves about her. He told her he misses her singing. Right, and then she reveals that he act. She actually has read his book, so it's like, yeah, they both missed each other. Um, the kids have a heart to heart in the hotel room. You know, there's that moment where he's like, Oh, I know he's you like fizzy water. Time. Yeah. He's secretly been into her forever. Yeah. And not in a particularly creepy way, just in a sort of like infatuation way. That's like, I'm not even going to make the first move because I know that you're too good for me. So it's not right. creepy. It's, it's cute. He notices her in a right. way that other people don't notice her. And yeah, I think that that the Joey Molly uh, relationship is kind of the weak part of this movie, and and there could have been some judging of their scenes to make it better. Like I think that if you leaned more into the he's loved her all this time, uh, and take out the fruit throwing scene completely, it it'd be strong. Yeah, I agree. Um... So then the parents come back, the parents open it up, they kind of apologize, but then they, this is where they go back to have a a kind of final dinner before they, they all go back. And, uh, Joey has an opportunity to take a photo, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. So then while they're dancing, this is the scene that I mentioned before, while they're dancing, while uh, Dennis Freen and Bette Midler are dancing, they kind of have this, you started the the affair first. No, you did. And it's great because their dancing just naturally erupts into their big personalities leading to shouting. And, this and they're at another wedding too, which makes <laughs> it even better. So and at this point, it's not that their shouting is... A, a signal that they shouldn't be together. Their shouting is a signal that even though they are meant to be together, they just have these loud personalities. Um, yeah, this isn't going to go away. They're right. going to keep fighting and fucking. And uh, I, I also liked the moment where Joey and Molly seemed to get closer. And, and you know, after she gave him the instant makeover, I like a good instant makeover, especially if it's not the girl where they're taking off her glasses and her ponytail. But it's the guy. The guy got an instant makeover. Yeah. He gets the nice suit jacket. Even, yeah, yeah, he yeah. slicked back his hair. And yeah. The I, hair I, was cute because she hesitates to put her hands in his hair because mm-hmm. putting your hands in someone's hair is a very sensual, intimate, romantic gesture. So like. Oh, yeah. But when she does it and she cleans cleans him up and she looks at him and she's like, yeah, you're cute. Like, even though that doesn't have to be the, a romantic scene, like it can just be some lady helping out a guy kind of make him look a little cleaner. Well, but there's it good is. Skinship. It's that, that, that hint of it, that hint of like, you know, you guys really do belong together. But I liked when they're dancing and she's like, well, you're cute. You could get with any girl here. And he says, no, not I can't. Mm. Not any girl. No, I can't. And However, then he gives he gives her the stare. Yeah. But However, then But then they're shouting, their their intimate moment gets interrupted. They're shouting. Joey goes to try to break it up. He gets pushed down. Oopsie, that small tiny hidden camera from before that he did not use 
flies out of his pocket. She ends up shouting at him. He ends up shouting at her. Now we have two couples shouting at the tops of their lungs. Um, and but the misunderstanding is quick, quick, quick. It is. You have you have the moment he he doesn't take the picture. The not even him confessing this all later on. The camera slides out. I think it's done in a way that I really like, where it's like we're not going to dwell on these moments. We're going to keep moving and propelling the yeah. plot forward. This movie already has, or this scene already has the entire movie to back it up. Some movies like Notting Hill want to then create another set of scenes to back up the splitting apart and draw out the tension of the coming together. Whereas this movie is confident that by now we realize, yes, they're breaking up. Yes, they're coming together. Let's get it done. Let's make it fun. Uh, The Bellamy's all show up. I love the line. (laughs) Ellen, take me home. Me too. (laughs) I wrote that in my notes. And then the way she lifts her chin too and walks forward. Oh, like, Bette Midler is perfection. Yeah, if you've never seen anything with Bette Midler and all you've seen is this movie and this is your first introduction to this to, to Bette Midler, the moment you see that part, you go, oh, that's a Bette move. <laughs> that is a Midler oh. move. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. It's so perfect. This false demureness. Um, and then her face when he's just talking at her. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, again, I mean, I'm just going to kind of blast through this. So any, any details that you have, they go to the airport, there's more confrontation. We get the, the, the reveal that, um, the two Bellamy's have hooked up. Keith and Rowena have hooked up. We, I like Dennis Farina's line. Since when do you ever want to do it? (laughs) Um, and so then they all leave Paula, Marshall uh well no they're all still there but they kind they kind of like leave in their own little corners Paula Marshall calls over her parents and says hey you guys take my honeymoon because you guys are always going to be together you're perfect for each other despite always shouting at each other and then figure it out then we get a fun little scene of Bette Midler shoving Dennis Farina's head in her boobies and then she's like, get a picture of this. And he takes a picture. And then Paula Marshall, Lily is like, oh, you just want to take pictures? But she's kind of like giving it to him in a fun way. Well, you got your pictures, yeah. didn't you? And then and he then starts he, pulling out the negatives. Yeah, he pulls out the negatives, of course. Classic. And then they kiss. And then there's, you crazy liberals. <laughs> I I really like that. As the happy ending proceeds and they run away, we stay on Keith, shouting in the airport, that's my wife, crazy liberals. I I loved it. To me, that's like clearly he and Anshuman have to fight it out to figure out who's going to be the king of the Bellamy's. Yeah, I think Anshuman does hold a special place in my heart because while this this guy is a very generic Bellamy in that sense of like, we've seen him before. We've seen the guy who's more concerned with his own political image. L Woods, obviously I'm sure there's other ones that we've seen, whether we've seen him on the podcast or not, but Mm -hmm. this is a very familiar thing on Schumann's level of Bellamy and the way he comes back into her life and then takes over. It's a very special spice of, of Bellamy that I had never seen before. 
I agree. His resentment <laughs> over not being able to do the rituals was yeah. so deeply felt. And for the people who are wondering, listening to this, who is Anshuman way back in, I think if this was episode two. Uh, episode two or episode three, we reviewed the Bollywood movie Job We Met. So if you want to know all about Anshuman and our love for him, go back and listen to that episode. Yes. And just in case we have new people, Bellamy is the term for the the person that your main character is with, who they are clearly and obviously not meant to be with. Essentially, so we don't feel bad when they don't end up with them, when they get their right. hearts broken. It's like, yeah, well, you're going to get poo-pooed on. You're at the airport all alone with your luggage. No wedding, no honeymoon. Your political career has now taken a hit it's from a social status point of view. He gets poo-pooed on. Love know? it. Yeah. So, I mean, again, all in all, a very fun movie. Um, a little hidden gem of a movie. I thought it was great. I agree. I I am really surprised that not more me- people know about this movie. And, you know, I, I didn't used to be as sensitive to pacing and how a movie wraps up. But the second I saw them resolve all of the conflicts in the airport, no second guessing, no additional chasing, I thought to myself, Brett's going to love this. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, this movie's an hour and 40 minutes it does not feel like it drags on at all. Mm-mm. There's there's a couple scenes that do feel a little weird and wonky, like I said, but overall, the fruit throwing, yeah. But overall, I mean, this movie knows that its strength is in Bette Midler and Dennis Farina. So the fact that so many of the scenes either have them or revolve around them is perfect. Who the writer of this movie is Leslie Leslie Dixon. So I think Oh, he's wrote he's written or he or she they have written a ton of movies, I think, yeah. if I remember correctly. Freaky Friday, The New Overboard, Hairspray, ton of movies. I think they even did the old overboard. Mm. Oh yeah, I'm looking at the writer's credit. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, pretty cool. Look who's talking now. Yeah, Thomas Crown Affair, Heartbreak. Uh, Tom, Kid. I hear Thomas Crown Affair is supposed to be really good. I think I've only seen the old one. With my boy Steve McQueen, but in, but in any case, clearly a, a lot of a lot of hitters behind them as far as as what they've done, which I think is really impressive. Uh, I also really like that both Bette Midler and Dennis Farina could tell that Keith sucked, and were subtly trying to get Molly to either cheat or to just get out of the marriage in general. Yeah. They they weren't so particularly concerned or obsessed with her ending up with Joey, but they were both like, hey, you can marry him if you want, because obviously marriage isn't that sacred. You can kind of get married and divorce and clearly it's want. not sacred to them. <laughs> but ending up with the wrong person is something that you don't want to do. So they're more concerned about her ending up with the wrong person, um, which leads to her naturally in the movie ending up with the right person yeah 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 it all worked out cute so is it time for the question yeah are is there anything else you wanted to wrap up on or uh i think i threw out some of my favorite lines already and and you know i just yeah this is a very charming and underrated movie i agree
So are we going to start so, killing some people? Kill? So charming. Let's start the killing. <laughs> Let us start the killing. It's so hard to choose. What about you? Who would you kill? I agree because a lot of sometimes you want to pick the despicable characters because they are despicable, but sometimes the despicable is fun and you're like, ah, if I kill them, then the movie would ultimately like, I don't know, but I'm going to go with Rowena. I don't, I, I thought that Keith had a good gimmick and a good presence. I thought he was a good whiny baby. And what I about thought, Alan? and I thought, yeah, Alan, the, the psych, the therapist was great in terms of all of his like, woe is me. Like, Oh, He's so positive and he's so <laughs> he's he's the um he's the the Tim Robbins in High Fidelity. He's just that like hippie dippy laid back kind of like let's just talk it yeah. out guy. So it's fun to watch his life crumble. Um but her Rowena, I don't think she has as strong of a gimmick. So that's why I would kill yeah. her. Her gimmick just is just a little tasteless. bit more social lady. Yeah, yeah she's, she's just a bitch and a bad decorator. Yeah. How about you? Who are you going to kill off? So, you know, originally I thought, got to kill Keith because he's such a dick. But then you kind of got to keep him in because he's such a great Bellamy. Yeah. Uh, so I think I would kill Keith's dad. Uh, I like the scene <laughs> when he surprises yeah. Bette Midler and she says, who the fuck? Yeah. And then and then Lily swoops right in and goes, you remember his dad, right? And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, right. Because she was about to be like, get your hands off me, you creep. Right. She thinks he's a creep. And then on top of him being a creep and wanting her as a celebrity guest at his political function, even though she's clearly not Republican, he also apparently offered Keith 50 grand to not go through with the marriage. Oh, right. You're right tasteless very tasteless yeah he's got to go get him um yeah so i'm curious i can start off with our remixes because mine is very i spent more time on the other one this one is very much a premise it's very much a trailer premise um i really don't have a name for it we can maybe come up with one Something oh, I once again I I reached for the lowest hanging fruit on mine, but uh, yeah, I can help you come up with a name. Let's maybe lay it I'll on do, me. Maybe I'll do what the heart wants, but that doesn't sound like a rom com or a horror movie. No, there's actually a movie called Where the Heart Is, where right. Natalie Portman gets dumped at a Walmart while pregnant. Um, but it turns out okay. I'm sure it does. She she always turns out okay. Um, Saw. We're gonna do a Saw movie. Oh, okay. So all of these people are trapped in the same house. We can do like hidden oh, house title. One of my favorite movies, Cube. Cube, yeah, they're all trapped in a giant science fiction space labyrinth. Um and so Lily, Dan, Molly, Joey, Alan, Rowena, and Keith are all trapped. We're gonna keep the relationship. Yep, we're gonna keep the relationships the same. Lily is with Alan, Dan is with Rowena, Molly is with Keith, and then Joey is just Joey. And they're mm. all, oh, here's the thing. They're all handcuffed to each other. So Lily and oh. Alan are handcuffed to each other. Dan and Rowena are handcuffed to each other, obviously, Molly and Keith. Joey has a handcuff with a dangling cuff, and on the dangling cuff is a severed hand. So we get what? a little bit of mystery, like, Wait, who was he handcuffed to? Did something happen that we don't know about? It's like a mystery. What happened? 
So one of the things is we can get a little, we can get a little um, of comedy out of the fact that either Lily or Molly, maybe Lily has like a maybe she has her purse, so she opens up her purse, rifles through her purse, and like maybe she has a little gun for self protection, but her gun is gone. But she has lipstick in her bag. Mm. She opens up the lipstick, and it's actually a taser. So like, ooh, maybe she can like. Maybe she can tase Dan. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like tase Dan whenever he makes a jab at her. Um, But yeah, so essentially we are going to have to kill off some of these characters in order to progress our way through the house, open up the doors, open up the final door. People are going to have to die. Right. And there's keys hidden inside people in various aspects. So everyone has a key hidden inside them, but the key only works one time. In their orifices or or on their on just on their person. Like inside them, but not necessarily in orifices. That sounds gross. <laughs> like in Saw, there's that one Saw moment. I think it's the second one where the lady's got a key inserted inside her eyeball and she's got to cut open her eyeball to get the key out. You're just listing descriptions of things that caused me not to watch the Saw franchise. Yeah, it's pretty gross, Um, but it's cool. Uh, And so we've get some stuff where like Rowena, well, I'll start off with Alan. Alan does a self-sacrifice, right? He kills himself so that the team can go on. However, maybe we find out that Alan doesn't have a key inside him. He's the only one who doesn't. And so essentially his self-sacrifice was for nothing. So we've got a kind of cool moment. There's always that moment, right? Not always, but there's- Oh, like accidental friend killings? No, there's that moment where this is in Kong Skull Island where Shea Wiggum takes his grenades and he's like, ah, come at me, giant skull crawler monster. And he's essentially going to self-sacrifice and be a suicide bomber and destroy the giant monster with his grenades. However, what does the giant monster do? Giant monster uses his tail, smacks him away. He explodes into the side of a cliff. His self his self sacrifice is essentially for nothing. It's a comedic. Ugh. It's a darkly comedic self sacrifice. So that's what Alan is going to do. He's going to make this big speech, a big hurrah moment, rallying the troops. I'll sacrifice myself for your happiness. He kills himself off, and then it turns out, oops, he didn't have a key. Oh, and we have a saw person. We have a jigsaw who's on the microphone. Do you want to play a game? Um, So we get some voiceover. We get some tensions. We get some clues over where the keys are hidden inside the people. Or we get some reveals of like maybe a secret about Alan is revealed. And so he's like, I can't deal with this. So I'm going to kill myself. Right. So like maybe he had an affair. That's the easiest one, but whatever. So, We also have to kill Keith, right? Keith is going to bring about his own death. Keith is going to do that classic cube mistake where he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go through the door I want to go through. And the next thing you know, laser beams or chopping them. Oh, he's the brave idiot. Yeah, he's the brave idiot. He's a, he is, he's a freaking idiot. He's a moron. Um, How does Rowena die? Well, as the gang, as the house starts to open up and they have more rooms, of course, what's the one thing you shouldn't do? Split up. So what do they do? They split up. When they come back, Rowena is killed. So it's like, what happened? So Dan tells them what happened. However, that may not be the truth. Like his story might not align 
up because again remember they're handcuffed so her dangling mm. hand her dangling hand is dangling from his handcuff and maybe there's like blood on her fingernails and then he's got a scratch so it's like ooh, oh. maybe he killed her and she was fighting for self-defense so then we have all this stuff yada 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 we get a clue about the key being attached to someone's heart and so then we get this idea that dan has a key attached to his heart but the key is attached to a bomb that is attached to his heart and when his heart stops pumping the bomb will then have 10 seconds to go off. You know what I mean? Like crank? Just like crank. You know how much I love me some crank. Uh, Jason (laughs) Statham could have used that Chinese shit up on Mars. So, um, or, or, yeah. So what happens is essentially we get a clue from our jigsaw game master that Dan had an affair when he was with Lily and they're like, yeah, we know. And they're like, not with Rowena with someone else. And I am, I am the illegitimate daughter of Dan. So now Molly is like, what? I had a daughter or I had a sister this whole time. And so maybe we can bring out some stuff there where she's like, I always wanted a sister or, you know, this wouldn't have happened if you, not this sister, not this one. So, so we have in his life insurance policy that, again, this is just ripping off Saul left and right. We have in his, in Dan's life saw, or, or in Dan's life insurance policy, there's a disclaimer that if there's any illegitimate children that can be uh, like, whatever, like confirmed via DNA, and he were to die, his money would then go to. The, not all of it, but some of it would go to the illegitimate child. If his wife was dead and his other daughter was dead, then all of the money would go to her. So essentially, ah. you know, when the Saw franchise originally Jigsaw was kind of this righteous intervener. He's like, okay, uh, Shawnee Smith in the first one had a drug problem. So he's like, you like putting yourself through pain, put yourself through this pain. And she's got a bear trap that's attached to her jaw. And when the bear trap goes off, it's like a reverse bear trap. So it's going to snap open and it's going to snap her head wide open, but she endures the pain of the jigsaw trap and that allows her to escape the trap. And so now she's learned her lesson, right? It's like a, a righteous killing. Yeah. I mean, I, it seems like a lot of serial killers are very moralistic. Yeah. And so one of the things that evolves in the Jigsaw, Jigsaw franchise is that once other people start to copycat Jigsaw, they purposefully make the traps just torture. There is no more way for the people to get out of the traps. It's just torture. That's why the cop who's hunting him down goes, wait a minute, this isn't Jigsaw's M.O., and so this is essentially what the illegitimate daughter has done. She's essentially put them in a place where they have to kill Dan, but by killing Dan, they're all going to die in the process because his heart is going to explode. So his relationship, his mistakes are going to cause the entire people to suffer. Here's how we get out of it. Bette Midler okay. is like, fuck that. She kills yes. Dan right away. She rips out his heart. And then she takes her lipstick taser, jabs it into the heart, which causes it to beat again. So since the beating is, is the heart is beating, the counter on the, the bomb stops counting down. So now they have a heart bomb grenade 
They escape. Beth Midler would never, but she should. But she should. And so then, you know, maybe maybe Joey or Molly can die if we really want to go dark. But essentially, they escape the house. They find the ex, the illegitimate daughter's prison or headquarters. I mean, they bust in and they go like, "Here's one from." Maybe we can call our movie "From the Heart." They'd be like, "Here's one from the heart." They throw the heart in. It's a grenade. Boom, the daughter blows up, and then the other people escape. They're bloody, and they are they have PTSD forever, but essentially, they get out. And so that's... Oh, a happy ending. All I wanted to do was make, was rip a heart out and restart it with a taser so that a bomb wouldn't go off. That was my only goal of this movie. I think that that is a great basis on which to create a movie. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I also saw was on my mind because we just went to the movie theaters and we saw that trailer for uh, Spiral from the Book of right. Saw. I really want to see that. That looks like a legitimately good Saw movie. So, yeah, I can't wait to hear your uh, rom-com pitch. Or your horror pitch for this rom-com. You like to put some of these Bellamy's through the ringer. Oh, well, I actually don't. I don't know that I necessarily put Keith through the ringer on this one. Uh, I actually decided to focus on Molly and kind of make it a story of what happens to a person who cleans up after the killers. There's a, there's a really good book by a Nigerian author. It's called My Sister, the Serial Killer. I wish I could remember the author's name right now, um, but it's from the perspective of the sister of a woman who just happens to kill people. Uh, and she is on hand to help clean up the mess anytime her sister kills a guy. Yeah, so like that's uh, kinda... Winston Wolf in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm, exactly. Or but the I'm, professional. He started out in La Femme Nikita as the cleaner. Oh, I love La Femme Nikita. Yeah, great one. Uh, I think I recommended that movie in one of our early, early episodes. I think so, yeah. But um, but yeah, so this is a story about Molly. And the name of the movie, again, like I said, low-hanging fruit, That Old Killing. I like it. So Simple Molly, and sweet. Molly, she's about to marry the man of her dreams when he asks her to do the one thing that is sure to ruin her life. Ask both her parents to attend the wedding. Uh, Molly tries to explain to Keith that her parents should not be allowed near each other, but he just won't listen. Uh, And what Keith does not know is that Molly's parents, they haven't spoken in 14 years because every time they fight, they get into a hit and run accident and leave the scene. So speaking of Kennedys, uh, isn't it Ted Kennedy? Yeah. Um, And unfortunately, uh, Matthew Broderick. Sorry. Oh, yeah, Um, that's right. Yeah. uh, Maybe don't leave the scene of an accident (laughs) where somebody's hurt. But we'll just assume in this version, both, both Dan and Lily are just raging narcissists. And they like to go Great Gatsby, Buchanan's on people who get in their way when they're having marital disagreements. Um, And what the parents don't know is that Molly 
has been covering up their little accidents all these years, trying to keep them out of jail. She might seem like a nice girl, but she's got a screw loose. You know, you can't you can't get rid of that many bodies and not have something inside you break. Yeah. But so is there tension there or a mystery there of like they're killing people, right? And the bodies are then disappearing. Like, wouldn't they know that like, hey, the news hasn't said anyone about a dead person on the side of the road. I think that there's so I think the idea that it is that there's concern from like like Molly is the one who has shouldered all of the paranoia and fear where they are so wrapped up in themselves and their own lives that hitting a person and leaving the scene doesn't even register to them. And because they've been they've been protected from the consequences of their mistakes because in a, you know, when you have parents like them, maybe Molly, just like in the rom-com, she's the adult in the relationship. She's been adultified by them. She's got to clean up after the kids. Yeah. And so she's going to steamroll over all the conflicts that they should be meeting. Um, and so there's a lot of tension there where Molly not only wants to keep them apart because they'll fight with each other, but wants to keep them apart because she doesn't want to have to bury any more dead people. Uh, so not only do Lily and Dan come to the wedding, um, but the worst happens. They fight, they get into their cars and they run over Keith's dad. Uh, but they make it up, they make up quickly and then they run off together. Maybe running over Keith's dad was just the the thing that made them horniest. Uh, and then they just, you know, it's on. And so Molly seeing the, you know, tire treads <laughs> over Keith's dad is like, oh no, it's on again. I'm back where I was before. So when she's done hiding the body of Keith's dad, she's got to figure out what she's going to do. So she decides to team up with a cop, Joey Donna. In my version, he's a cop. Right. Uh, to find them. And Joey has linked the hit and run murder. So it's not as if these hit and run murders have gone unnoticed. Okay. Somebody, somebody's noticed. Uh, he's, he's linked the, the hit and run murders and the missing people uh, to the couple. But he just needs the smoking gun or engine. Uh, whatever, right. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Uh, so somehow, carburetor. right? Somehow he's just never gotten close enough to pin it on them. But it's like he's one of those stereotypical cops where he's like, "I know it's them. I know it's them. I just need to prove it." Uh, so together they track down Lily and Dan by following all the dead people <laughs> run over <laughs> cars. <laughs> you can tell I really thought a long time about this. Um, but also vehicular manslaughter is kind of a big deal and it's, yeah. it's uh, it happens more frequently than it should. Um, and every time Joey tries to get evidence from things like hotel receipts, prints on the cars that the couple has rented, he finds that someone's been there before him and taken away the things that he's looking for. So he's all frustrated because it's like he's on the trail, but there's something he's missing. What could he be missing? Uh, so as Joey and Molly start to close in on Lily and Dan, Two things happen. 
Joey starts to suspect that Molly is covering up the killings and Molly starts to have feelings for Joey. I mean, remember, she killed her husband's dad. And so, I mean, there's really no future there uh, with that hanging over her head. And, you know, maybe she feels like Joey's like, man, he really gets my parents and how awful they are. Uh, So meanwhile, Keith... Oh, I I forgot I did bring Keith into the movie. Uh, Keith suspects that Molly was cheating on him, so he conspires to track her down. Uh, And then everything comes to a head in the parking garage of the Majestic Hotel. Joey confronts Molly, while Molly confronts her parents, while they confront the results of their carelessness. Maybe they're forced to reckon with this trail of bodies that they never even thought about, and they're like, what have I done? Um, and Joey is going to arrest them all uh, when Molly pulls a gun out and threatens them as she gets into her own car to leave. And then as she starts to drive away, she sees Keith in front of the car. And then instead of braking, she hits the gas pedal and runs over him and then circles back to her parents, pops the trunk, drops a pair of shovels on the ground and says, your turn, assholes, before driving away. Dan turns to Joey and says, you're just going to let her get away with that? Uh, I I felt like that would be a Dennis Farina line. Uh, And then right at that moment, a bunch of cops come out of their hiding places and Joey says, no one is getting away with anything anymore. And then everyone goes to jail. Even Molly? Of course Molly goes to jail, but maybe Molly feels like maybe she has one of those Norman Bates things where she goes to jail smiling because she's finally evolved past the point of restraining herself and bottling up that anger. She ran over Keith and that gave her a new lease on life. Yeah, I like that. That old killing. That old killing. Um yeah, I could see that's uh, not exactly, but that's sort of you could maybe throw in some John Carpenter in that movie and uh, make the car possessed. <laughs> maybe it's a killer car that, that <laughs> helped. Maybe they need to run over people to feed the souls or that can just be like that can be one of those hidden hidden plot lines. Like um, that would be great. Like after the credits roll, the car right. just comes <laughs> to life. <laughs> um. Yeah, or just like one of those things that's like it's a subtle subplot that kind of got cut out of the movie. So there's still little breadcrumbs of it in the movie that like when you go on IMDb or Wikipedia and you read about the movie, you go like there's an entire subplot about the car being possessed. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, there's like two parts in the movie that just don't make sense. That must be why. Um, Yeah, I like that. (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. All right, kids. Well, if you want to find us and not run over us, uh, you can reach us on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also email us at the Necromancer Podcast at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Please. And thank you. Pretty please. I said thank you, so that means you have to do it. <laughs> Oh, pretty please with the cherry on top. Oh, I doubled it. Uh, All right, let's get into Love Bites, our recommendations for the week. 
Okie dokie. So I mentioned that I went to the movies and I saw that preview for Spiral, but that's not the reason why I went to the movies. That was just a little oh, Why bonus. did you go? I went to actually see a full-length feature film, not just the previews. I saw a little movie called Mortal Kombat, and I got to say this movie was fucking awesome. <laughs> I loved pretty much every minute of it. Um, I I am not a fan of the video games. I was not allowed to play them as a kid. They were too violent. So when I went over to my babysitter's house and she had a son who was allowed to play it, I was like, shit, well, what my parents don't know won't hurt them. Boop, 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 pop in the old Mortal Kombat, press in my old inputs, button mash, and I realized I suck at the game. So I was like, well, my parents don't have to worry about me playing it anymore because I don't like this game. Uh, but the character designs are super cool. Pop culture, fatality, get over here, you know, flawless victory, all that stuff I dig. So the movie, and it's produced by James Wan, who I love. Um, the movie was great. The movie, they introduce a completely brand new character to the franchise to sort of allow newcomers to kind of have a way in. So all of the characters are already established. All of the characters have their own gimmicks. They all have really cool character designs. They all have their own little moves. Uh, the movie is bloody as fuck. There is some ultra Good. violence in this movie. And also, I like the story. I like... I like if if they're not doing bloody fights, they do a really good job of either blasting through the exposition in a very silly way. Kano in this movie is hilarious. Kano is dropping jokes left and right. It's so Kano funny. Kano wins. Kano wins. <laughs> um, and so I thought that they did a good job of either making the exposition, just get it out of the way, make it silly, make it fun. But also like when Sub-Zero shows up, he shows up all over the place but he's not always fighting because he's doing like other cool stuff where it's like snow is falling. Ice is here. So it's like, we're building up the fights and then Raiden shows up and goes, Hey guys, you can't fight because that's against the rules. So it's like, we get these teases of fights, but in the process we get, we, we raise the tension of the rivalries and we raise the stakes of this is going to be super violent because Sub-Zero does some super violent stuff. So then when we do actually get the characters fighting, we are allowed to go full out on it because it's like, yeah, first of all, these characters don't matter because Mortal Kombat has 12 games, right? They have a shit ton of characters. So if we kill off some of them, that's fine. Uh, So when we do get to actually kill the characters, it feels good because we're like, yes, (laughs) this character deserves to die. They are a bad guy. Um, Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, I had a blast. I'll definitely watch it again. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. It's so good, man. It's it's just again, like it kind of How's takes my boy Scorpion. Oh, I loved him. I I love Scorpion in this movie. <laughs> that sigh was all we needed to hear. Uh, I don't want to ruin the moment for you, but when you see it, we can talk about the moment. Um, that's like, oh my god, I love it. So. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, Yeah, how about you? What's your love bite? So last week, I recommended teaming up with your partner for some good old sweating and working out. And this week, I'm back to my usual state of affairs, which is recommending a movie based on the theme that we're doing. 
So I typed into the old Google unlikely team ups uh, in movies to see what comes up and kind of jog my memory. And the movie that stood out to me that I would love to recommend if you haven't seen it, and if you haven't seen it, where have you been? Uh, I would like to recommend a little old movie called Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy with uh, Chris Farley and David Spade. And, And they are just perfect foils for each other. Chris Farley giant eternal child david spade very much the keith in the relationship little tiny little conservative twerp yeah a little sarcastic <laughs> twerp who thinks he's smarter than everyone else and then these two characters are forced together because good old tommy boy is going to take over his father's company and david spade's got to teach him the business but of course because it's chris farley they get into a ton of hijinks, and there's also a bit of a plot between the father and this con woman played by Bo Derek, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Rob Lowe pretending to be her son. Um, but really, it's all about David Spade and Chris Farley on the road, getting into trouble. Uh, I mean, name a better duo. I can't. But one exactly. of I watched it semi recently, and one of my favorite jokes that never stood out to me, like when I was a teenager watching it, but somehow in this recent viewing, just it really hit the funny bone right in the funny spot. Was when they they have to pretend to be um, airline what, what flight attendants, right? And so they hop on the plane and the real flight attendant says something to them. And then Chris Farley goes, what are we serving for, or what are we having for dinner? Chicken or chicken? And it's just so funny because it's, I mean, I can't explain the joke, but I, I'm sure I didn't do it right. It's Chris Farley's delivery. It's just the fact that like these people don't belong on this plane. So I always love it when characters have to pretend like they belong. And Chris Farley pretending like he actually belongs on the plane. He's like, what's for dinner? Chicken or chicken? Like, you can't think of any other meal on a plane. It's so funny, man. Yeah, that movie is great. Uh, it's such a it's such a classic. And it just reminds you of what an amazing talent Chris Farley is or was. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, that's all for today. How do you think uh, the main bad guy in the Ghost of Mars would sign us off? That old... Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.